Let's join together in our call to worship. Let us sing of God's steadfast love forever. We proclaim God's faithfulness to all generations. God's steadfast love is established forever. God's faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before our God. Friends, whenever we gather to praise God and give, high, or give thanks for the height and breadth and depth of God's love for us, we do nonetheless remain aware of all of our own limits and imperfections. 
but believing the promise that Christ has indeed come to make all things new. Let us confess our sin together using the words of our printed prayer. Holy God, you whom we proclaim more than we experience and request more than we need, we come asking your forgiveness. We seek your salvation, then act like we save ourselves. We beg your forgiveness, then repeat our mistakes. We experience your grace, and yet act defeated. We rely on your power, but only in hard times. We have served our own self-interest instead of serving only you and your people. We have not loved our neighbor as you have commanded, nor have we rightly loved ourselves. Forgive us and bring us back into the fullness of our covenant with you and one another. Through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Well, even in spite of the struggles to live as Christ asks of us and acknowledging that each of us have indeed fallen short, we do believe and trust in a God of grace who is quick to forgive and who is abounding in steadfast love, a God of mercy instead of judgment. So friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And it is in gratitude for this forgiveness and God tearing down all that might divide us that we invite those of you here in the sanctuary to turn and to greet those seated around you with the sign of Christ's peace. And for those who are watching online, we do hope you will take a moment as well to sign in that we may know of your presence with us and that we can greet you as well. So friends, may the peace of Christ be with you and let us pass that peace of Christ to our neighbor. Well, indeed, good morning and welcome to worship here at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this Trinity Sunday as well as a Communion Sunday. We are very grateful to have all of you worshiping with us today, whether you're in person or online. And if this is your first time here or your first time here in a while, we do hope that you will feel a sense of welcome in this space. For all those of you here in the sanctuary, uh, we invite you to take a moment to find and fill out the pew pads that you'll find located near you, not only to let us know that you are here today, but also to update any contact info or indicate whether you'd like a member of the pastoral staff to reach out this week. And as we head into the summer, we do hope that you'll look through the closing pages of your bulletin for ongoing ways to learn and volunteer and build community here in this church family. I should also note that in addition to it being Trinity Sunday, we are celebrating Baccalaureate Sunday today in this season of graduations. So I do hope that you will take a moment at some point to look at the list of graduates that are printed in the bulletin, all of whom are marking major milestones this year, and that you would congratulate anyone who you might know. But we as a church do want to take this moment to celebrate all of the hard work and commitment and learning that got these individuals to this moment. So congratulations to all of our 2023 graduates. And looking ahead a week, we're excited to welcome Slats Tool as our guest preacher next Sunday, June 11th. 
They currently serve as the co-moderator of the board of the Covenant Network of Presbyterians and are a published author who leads workshops throughout the United States and Canada on expansive language and queer theology with a particular emphasis on gender identity. Slat's work centers around creating space in the church where all are welcomed, embraced, and loved. And so we look forward to welcoming them to the pulpit next Sunday. And please do know that after worship today, anyone wishing to pray with one of our church deacons are welcome to a time of prayer immediately following this service, located in Stone Chapel, which is just to the right of the pulpit. And you're also invited to stop by our weekly coffee hour, which you can find out the double doors to your left. And finally, a brief note for anyone who will be joining us online that we are having communion later on in this service. So I would invite you to make sure that you have communion elements on hand when we get to that point of the service. So again, friends, to all of you, welcome to worship here at Fourth Church. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy one, guide us by the spirit of truth to hear the word of life you speak and to give all glory, honor, and praise to your threefold name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Our Psalter portion this morning is Psalm 8. Listen now for God's word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You whose glory is chanted above the heavens, out of the mouths of infants and children. You have set up a fortress against your enemies to silence the foe and avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses? What are mere mortals that you should be mindful of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them little less than divine. With glory and honor you crown them. You have made them rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all flocks and cattle, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. second scripture lesson today comes from the book of Exodus. Listen for what God may be saying to the church this day. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush he looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. 
Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. And then God said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me, and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. So today is Trinity Sunday. We reflect on this mysterious and potentially baffling idea that one God is three. Not three gods, but a oneness that has three aspects, forms, ways of being. It's difficult to even talk about. As the concept of the Trinity developed over time, words to describe it began to center on the idea that God is three persons, yet one God. We still have that paradox of three and one. But what helps me understand this idea of persons is the English word persona. Think of an actor who can take on three different personas, yet it's still just one actor. The three persons of the Trinity is kind of like that. 
We sang in our opening hymn today, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's very traditional, historic language for the Trinity. People have used lots of images to describe the Trinity. It's like water, which can be gaseous steam or liquid water or solid ice. Or the Trinity is like a tree that has roots and a trunk and branches. Or we can talk about the different actions that God takes, sometimes creating, so God is the creator, sometimes redeeming, so God is the redeemer through Christ, sometimes sustaining and sanctifying, so God is the sustainer or the sanctifier in the Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, sustainer, the Trinity. Metaphors can help us expand our minds and take us beyond either or thinking. If the Trinity was a mathematical problem, we might use either or thinking. God is either three or one. God cannot be both. But metaphors are not either or thinking. They hold two contradictory things in tension. There's a kind of both and thinking in a metaphor. We can say that God is the rock of my salvation. We know that God is not literally a rock, but God is a rock in the sense of providing stability and solidity to me, to you, to us, even in the midst of the high winds that toss us about in life and create disarray. God is our rock. A metaphor has power because it, it takes us beyond the literal and the limited. A metaphor can help us think in creative and expansive ways. A metaphor can help us think in relational and emotional ways. It can evoke emotions, reactions in us, and it can change how we feel. A metaphor can be explained and explored through a story that takes us into an experience. I've been reading parts of a 2007 best-selling novel called The Shack. I'm guessing some of you have read it. It was self-published at first, but it spread like wildfire and became a New York Times bestseller and has sold over 20 million copies worldwide. The story is about a man whose daughter has been killed and his anger at God for letting it happen. He sinks into depression, and one day he gets a note from God inviting him to come and meet with God. God wants to help heal him, and the God he meets is Trinitarian. He meets God in three persons. God the Father is a black woman, and the main character, Mac, calls her Papa. That's what Mac's wife calls God the Father, Papa, just as Jesus called God the Father, Abba. Mac and Papa agree that he will call her Papa. He will call her Papa. That idea shakes something up. It breaks assumptions that we have about God and about gender. I grew up thinking of God as an old white man. That was what I saw in my head. And that is true of Mac in this story as well. And Papa is aware of it and says to him essentially, 
You thought I was going to look like Gandalf, didn't you? In the book, Jesus is a Middle Eastern laborer, and the Holy Spirit is an Asian woman named Sarayu, which means wind. Just common wind, Jesus tells Mac. And it's hard to see her. She kind of shimmers and fades in and out like wind might, if you could see wind. When Mac meets these three, he asks them, which one of you is God? I am they all say in unison. It recalls God giving the holy name from the burning bush, I am. The novel was written by a pastor who wanted to tell people some things he believes about God. And the theology is, surprisingly to me, pretty traditional Trinitarianism, something I don't expect to find in something that seems like a pop culture book. The expression of the Trinity gets expanded in terms of race and gender, and that is the surprising part and the captivating part. Something about this novel has captured the imaginations of 20 million people. It has touched their hearts. They have encountered the Trinity, who is three and one. And they have from this book an image of a deeply loving God who wants us to know how loved we are, especially in the face of tragedies and violence, injustice, and despair. I avoided reading the book for a long time. I assumed it was just a fad, and I didn't expect to find theology that would be meaningful to me. But eventually, I wanted to know what the tremendous appeal was. Finding an image of a black, Asian, Middle Eastern, female, male god has a liberating effect on the holy imagination. Or in other words, it liberates our imaging of God. It provides an expansive image of God one that breaks common expectations around gender and race. It expands how we think of who God is. Metaphors for God can enliven our spirituality, and there are many metaphors in both testaments of our Holy Scripture. Some of the metaphors are inanimate. God is like a rock, as I mentioned. But God is also like a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, or a cloud around Mount Sinai when Moses is there meeting God. God is like wind and water and light and bread. God is like a vine on which we all grow. Some biblical images and metaphors use the idea of animals. God is like a mother bear an eagle under whose wings we can take shelter. God is like a mother hen gathering her chicks or like a roaring lion. And some of the biblical metaphors are human, both male and female metaphors for God. Patriarchy is well represented in the Bible and many metaphors for God are male images, but not all of them. God is like a shepherd, a king, a counselor, an advocate. God is like a potter. But God is also like a midwife, like a mother, 
like a woman who lost and found a coin. God is like a baker woman who mixed yeast through all the bread. We tend to anthropomorphize God, to use a big word. We tend to imagine God as a human because we want to have a relationship with God. It's hard to love a rock, a pillar of fire, a cloud, a gate, a light, or a vine. Maybe it's easier to love a king, a shepherd, a nursing mother, or a baker woman. The human metaphors are easier to relate to on a personal level, but we sort those into hierarchies too. Why do we see the shepherd with the lost sheep as an image of God, but not the woman who lost a coin and rejoiced when she found it? These two stories are told side by side in the Bible. And why do we lift up the idea of God as king, but not the idea of God as a baker woman mixing the leaven throughout the world to create the realm and reign of God? What is it that captures our imaginations? We can become constrained by what we have known in the past and habits we've developed about how we speak about God and how we even think about God. Metaphors become idols when we can't think beyond them. In our scripture reading this morning, God tells Moses the divine name. How do we imagine a God whose name is I am? Biblical scholars tell us the name can be translated as I am what I am or I am that I am. I am that I am. It could even be read in the future tense. I will be what I will be. There's some kind of pure existence expressed in this, an existence that defies description or surpasses our limited capacity to understand. This is my name, God says to Moses. I exist. I am. Jesus also uses this name when he says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. The verb tenses don't line up there, and that seems purposeful. This is perhaps the most expansive and non-limiting way of talking about God, but how do we have a relationship with pure existence? Over 20 years ago, I was living in Boston and contemplating going to seminary. I was talking with the executive presbyter there about women's leadership roles in the church and male and female images of God. She said, the executive presbyter, she said that her mind was so trained to think of God as male that she gave herself a year-long project. She decided to flip the script for one year and refer to God using only female pronouns or no pronouns at all. To free her mind, she needed to give it something new to hold on to, something new to envision, something new to relate to. People play with the ideas of the Trinity in various ways. Some people think of the Father and Son as male and the Spirit of God as female. 
In this way, there is male and female in the Trinity. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr has written that while he imagines, images the three persons of the Trinity all in male terms, he thinks the relationship between the three is a female or feminine thing, the quality of relation, of relating, so that male and female, again, are intertwined through the very identity of God. And William P. Young, who wrote The Shack, gives us an image of God the Creator, the first person of the Trinity, as a black woman who is strong and all-wise and who laughs uproariously and dances along with the second person of the Trinity, a Middle Eastern Jesus, and the third person of the Trinity, an Asian woman Holy Spirit made of wind, the breath and spirit of God. Papa says to Mac in the story, to reveal myself to you as a very large white grandfather figure with a flowing beard like Gandalf would simply reinforce your religious stereotypes. And this weekend is not about reinforcing your religious stereotypes. What God wanted to do for Mac that weekend, and what I think God wants to do for all of us, is show up in a way that we can trust, to draw close to us in a way that is healing and uplifting. I know that some of you pray to Mother Father God or Father Mother God. Some of you pray to Mother God. And some of you pray to your beloved Father God. And that's good. Mostly today, I wanted to give you Permission, permission to see yourself reflected in God because you are, all of you, are created in the image of God. God is a loving parent, a beloved child, an ever-present source of love, healing, forgiveness, help, and compassion. She is a mother bear, a protective eagle, the light of the world, a baker woman, a source of joy. She is also a shepherd of lost sheep, a potter who shapes us, a rock who gives us stability, and so many more things. Meditate on these ideas and know that you are never alone. What new experiences of God might we have if we open ourselves to expansive language, expanses, expansive images for God, and inclusive language for God's people? May God help us to embrace the exuberance that is God's creation. May it be so. Amen.
Together, let us affirm what we believe using words from our denomination's brief statement of faith. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel, whom alone we worship and serve. In everlasting love, the God of Abraham and Sarah chose a covenant people to bless all families of the earth. Hearing their cry, God delivered the children of Israel from the house of bondage. Loving us still, God makes us heirs with Christ of the covenant. Like a mother who will not forsake her nursing child, like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home, God is faithful still. The white roses located in the upper chancel unfortunately signify a number of deaths that we have recently learned of within our church family. We heard this week of the death of Gail Link, who passed away on October 29th last year, and so we hold the Link family in prayer. We also joined the Nelson family in grieving the death of James Nelson on January 28th earlier this year. We grieve with the Hale family at the passing of Michael Hale on April 20th. And finally, we lift the Haney family in prayer at the passing of Joseph Nelson Haney, who passed away this week on May 31st. So we give God thanks for the gift of Gail, James, Michael, and Joseph's time among us. And we give thanks as well for the gift of life eternal. Indeed, we do give thanks to God for the many gifts of our lives, recognizing that all that we have is a gift first given by God. And because we have received so much, our hearts overflow with gratitude and we want to give back. God has called us to be mindful of the needs of our neighbors, from those who come through our doors to those in our wider human family. So from ministries of justice and hope and education to ministries dedicated to meeting basic needs, we hope that all of the gifts we share will extend good news to those who are longing for some and offer hope to those who have lost it. However you choose to give this morning, may you give with a grateful and generous heart. Our morning offering will now be received.
Friends, scripture tells us that people will come from east and west, north and south to sit at table in the realm and reign of God and all things will be made well. This is not a Presbyterian table, this is God's table. So come to this feast. Come you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come to this table, this feast, not because we invite you, but because God does. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. God of love, you shaped your purposes for your people and for your church before the foundation of the world. And you knew each one of us before you formed us in the womb. You have given your people tongues to speak your name, faith to see your power. But most of all, you have given us love to imitate your life. It is moved by that love and inspired by your goodness that we join our voices to the children of your reign who forever sing to the glory of your name. God, you have guided us continually and satisfied our need in parched places. In the death and resurrection of Christ, you repaired the breach between us and you opened the way of peace for all your people. Great is the mystery of faith. richness of your table, we cannot forget the rawness of your earth. On this day, we do lift up the brokenness that is present in ourselves and in our world, praying for peace to rise above the violence and war, praying for understanding to exceed all of the enmity, and praying for opportunity to be afforded to those who have been given little. We pray for those who have lost loved ones for those living with challenging illnesses or injuries, and for those who have been feeling lost or lonely, whether for a season or perhaps even longer than that. 
And we lift up all of those prayers, praying that you hear us now, O God, in this moment of silence, as we lift up to you the prayers that are on each of our hearts. And now, gracious God, as we do in this place what Jesus did in an upstairs room, pour down your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this bounty of bread and fruit of the vine. In this sacred meal, give us faith to move mountains, hope in the power of your transforming kingdom, and love that never comes to an end. May we know your grace, your strength, and your power. May your presence resonate in our bones and be visible in our lives as we seek to be salt and light for this world that you so love. We pray all these things in the name of your Son who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We remember that on the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest, he sat at table with his friends. And after he had given thanks to God for the bread, he took and broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Take and eat of it, all of you. Do this, remembering me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And after he had poured it out, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood, take and drink of it, each time remembering me. Every time that we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the healing and transformative power of our risen Lord. Friends, this is the feast of God. For those of you worshiping with us from home, I invite you to break your bread and pour your cup. To receive the holy meal here in the sanctuary, you will be invited to come forward to two, one of two stations here in the front. If you'd like someone to bring the feast to you, you'll see people in the two side aisles. Simply raise your hand and they will bring the meal to you. You may also go to the center aisle in the back to receive the elements there. What we hold in our hands are gifts of God for the people of God. And now, here in this sanctuary, we minister in God's name as we serve this sacred meal to each other.
Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And friends, let us pray. God, in deep gratitude for this moment, this meal, and these people, we give ourselves to you. Take us out to live as changed people because we shared in this sacred meal and cannot remain the same. Ask much of us, expect much from us, enable much by us, encourage many through us. We pray this in the name of the resurrected Christ. Amen.
hold on to what is good. Return no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all people. Love and serve the Lord our God, rejoicing in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And may God bless you and keep you. May God make God's face to shine upon you. May God be gracious to you and give you peace, now and forevermore. Amen.